you know, educate uh, people about it. You know, no one really takes it as like a negative thing. They really find it quite interesting. So I've really, in the customer journeys that I've had working at Apple, it's been really great to, you know, educate people on that side of things. They're always curious and very interested about it. So, I mean, yeah, you know, like you, you can't see a disability that's, you know, within the brain, but uh, it's been, I've still had a lot of fun getting to educate people on it. And I hope to, yeah, do that in the future. And I still really want to be a ambassador for people who have learning disabilities. Welcome to the Strides with Grey Wolf podcast with your host, Nate Reich. This podcast was created to share athlete stories on their road to the 2020 Paralympic and Olympic Games with the hope of motivating and inspiring the next generations of athletes. Throughout this podcast, we will discuss topics such as adversity, success, mindset, the peaks and valleys of sport, plus much more. On today's episode, Noah and I talk about his intellectual disability, adaptability within sport, his mindset, how important consistency of training is to performance, Apple products, and holding on to hope, plus much more. Today, we have Calgary's very own Noah Vucic jumping on the podcast. Noah is a rising star in the Paralympic scene. He's a jack of all trades when it comes to athletics, from long jump to the 400 meters. I've been looking forward to having Noah on the podcast for some time now. With further ado, welcome Noah to the Strides with Grey Wolf podcast. What's up, my man? Hey, hey, how's it going? Good, good. How are things going, my man? Pretty good. Obviously, we're not training now that we're in uh, a two-week kind of shutdown. But, uh, you know, before the shutdown, we were starting training again, trying to get back into shape. So uh, we just look forward for hopefully when we open on the 27th, we can get back to that again. So uh, and potentially have a stellar somewhat of a season next year. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yes. I uh, very much, very, very much agree with you there. Um, I think it's, uh, you know, when when you're doing a podcast, I think it's very fun to fi find out where uh, you actually came from and like what that foundation was like. Um, mm -hmm. And so I'm going to start off with a quote and then I would love to hear um, kind of early what it was like Noah growing up and how you got into sport. But first, as I look back, Back on my life, I realized that every time I thought I was being rejected for something good, I was actually being reje redirected to something better. And that's a quote that I just found yesterday, and I thought it was uh, very um, – it matched for a Paralympic athlete's life. Um, and so what what was it like growing up? Um, and then eventually, how did you get into track and field? Well, yeah, I mean, like, especially for me, you know, I was in a pace learning program growing up. Um, in school so I always kind of had struggles with my learning and stuff like that so I did a little bit of track like when I was younger with my sister but that was just kind of more you know my parents kind of got me into it you know I was running like 60 meters and stuff and but back then at the age of 10 hated competing suffered massive anxiety I think in my first race I stepped into someone's lane and then got a stern warning from the officials so <laughs> it really wasn't a good experience uh, then I needed knee surgeries after so I didn't really kind of get into track until I was kind of near the end of uh, high school where I, you know, kind of growing up, I loved to just jump over garbage cans, 
touch 10 foot rims and stuff. I tried a little bit of high jump, but that never fully, fully kind of clicked. But it really wasn't until, you know, my dad and my coach in high school got me into like long jump and then um, got a pair of track spikes. And then uh, I really started to notice improvements as I started kind of jumping over six meters kind of for the first time. And then my dad's like, okay, yeah, you know, you have to kind of stick with this, you know, and get some training in you and see what you can do. So, uh, but overall growing up for me, you know, it was always challenging being in the slow classes because a lot of kids couldn't really figure out, you know, how can a guy be so sociable and, you know, be the valedictorian for his grad class, but then also have a learning disability at the same time. A lot of people didn't really, couldn't really seem to figure that out. So that was always kind of a challenge getting that across to people that, you know, not just making this stuff up. I do have, you know, um, academic struggles. <laughs> but I Yeah, like no, I mean, it's, I can definitely relate to that as well. You know, as you and I have had many, many Zoom calls catching up with, uh, we, with each other. And, you know, we, we definitely share that we both had that. Um, did you have trouble in school? Just people being like, it's like with some disabilities are just so glaring and you can just see them walking down the street and you know, but with both of ours, it's uh, almost invisible at times. Yeah. Um, and so how was that experience? Uh, was that tough? Um, yeah, definitely. I mean, I kind of started to realize how hard it kind of, well, I shouldn't say how hard, like, but it was tough, but more, I didn't realize it till I was getting a bit older. And cause at first, normally someone has a disability in a wheelchair, you know, you can see that. And you think, wow, that must be hard. But no, having a disability that can't be seen is still kind of a hard thing. Especially after I did my valedictorian speech, some of my uh, classmates were like, well, you know, you, you could probably just go to university, get a bunch of degrees if you really wanted to. So they never really could kind of understand that side of things. And e even, you know, in my adult life, in some of my workplaces, there were some things I had to do, like, you know, like math and stuff that, uh, you know, it was just a little bit more challenging for me. And, you know, again, people see the big, the social side, the smiley side of me, the happy side, and, you know, the being great at track. But uh, no, definitely, I think having a disability that can't be seen is still one of the hardest things that can be to get across. Yeah, definitely. And obviously, there are negatives. But um, I also think there are positives. And um, how do you think your disability helps you just in today's life? And I think a lot of times, like, yeah, there's definitely hurdles to go over. But I feel like with every situation, there's always something positive that you can like hold on and really use later down your life. Oh, totally. Especially with my experience at uh, working at the Apple store. I've loved being able to, you know, educate uh, people about it. You know, no one really takes it as like a negative thing. They really find it quite interesting. So I've really in the customer journeys that I've had working at Apple, it's been really great to, you know, educate people on that side of things. They're always curious and very interested about it. So, I mean, yeah, you know, like you, we can't see a disability that's, you know, within the brain, but uh, it's been, I've still had a lot of fun getting to educate people on it. And I hope to, yeah, do that in the future. And I still really want to be a ambassador for people who have learning disabilities. Yeah, no, definitely. I, I, uh, I completely agree. And I'm, I'm, I'm glad that you see that uh, positive side of it too. And now let's transition a bit into Paralympic sport. Um, when did that come into your life and what was that transition like? And I, I remember, obviously, mine was just somewhat recent, just a couple a couple years ago, but yours is obviously even more fresh. And so I'd love to hear um, what that was like and what those conversations were like. Yeah, I mean, I think right when I was kind of getting into a track club in the fall of 2018, uh, my mom kind of had a chat with our club director about 
para and stuff. And she kind of brought up, okay, you know, no one might be eligible for a category, but not a lot of thought kind of got like put into it. Like, you know, even for that past year, like it really wasn't until kind of around the spring of 2019, around March, when my dad kind of brought it up with uh, my coach for the first time that, okay, you know, our club director said no one might be eligible for a category in Paralympics. And then after he did some digging into it, uh, we found out that, uh, yeah, I was eligible for a category, but the whole process was uh, pretty long because we had to get some uh, paperwork that had to go all the way to Germany and get assessed and stuff like that. And then uh, once the paperwork went to Germany and stuff like that, it took about seven or eight months. It wasn't until around February of 2020 this year when, uh, when I finally got uh, classified in. So the journey was actually still kind of long. Um, but definitely when I first started track, that was always kind of on the table, but I didn't think I, at the time that, you know, T20 and that was even a thing. So, yeah, yeah. no, abso absolutely. And did you get your international classification? Do you have to do any more classification before the para the Paralympics or are you good to go? Well, was, I just got an email the other day, actually, because there's one more in the international classification that I have to do, but they did say I'm on the top priority to get that done. So potentially maybe in Dubai or uh, Switzerland in 2021, depending on uh, what happens. I think Dubai is a little bit earlier in February, but the Switzerland one is I think just at the end of May. So uh, hopefully things can get under control and we can get some consistent training and then I can get that under my belt. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah, that'd be great if you went to the Dubai one, because uh, we already have like three or four guys, including myself, uh, going out there to get uh, classified. So that would be uh, that would be really cool. We're supposed to, you know, stay in uh, where the world championships were held. And it's at that same track, which is uh, which, you know, is uh, would be cool for you to race on. And, you know, it's always a cool thing with with classification. You always always get the race. And so, um, you know, if you go there, at least, you know, you're going to get the race. So let's talk about the long jump. Um, you know, that's, I, I saw one of your big jumps indoors. Was that a PB? I forgot that. That was the, the furthest jump. Yeah. In March. When did you jump? Uh, yeah, it was in March at the Edmonton uh, Provincials. It was a 662. And Man. For me, jumping out was, you know, because really it was a big challenge for me to get over 650, you know, especially last year. And then, but I was still very new. Um, so, Training, going into training this year, you know, once my coach was kind of telling me in the beginning, it takes some time, it takes some patience. It's like, it's one thing to hear it. And I heard that, but I didn't really fully understand what that really meant until probably after a year. And then going into my second year, I'm like, okay, now I'm seeing the results. Now I'm seeing the fold that I'm actually starting to drive forward. And, you know, I'm starting to see things come. I'm starting to see the hard work pay off. And then, uh, yeah, got that new PB there. And I was very happy. My parents got to witness it too. So <laughs> that is a nice shiny PB for sure. And where does that rank um, in your T20 class uh, in the world? I think of last year, that would have put me as number 12 in the world. Um, this year, I'm not quite sure where that would have uh, put me. But uh, ideally, if everything was going to go together this year, I mean, the goal was a 680 jump. So uh, which would have put me, I think, pretty much roughly within the top six. So uh um, you know, we just have to, you know, keep the momentum going and hope for something like that. Uh, maybe even for 2021, if we can get the provided training in. So, uh, yeah. And then ideally, I mean, my coach says within the next uh, two years, jumps over seven meters. So that yeah. up there to compete with uh, potentially even for a medal by 2024. Yeah. So 
Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And I feel like obviously you're somewhat new um, within track and field, I guess, coming from me where I've been in it since I was born, uh, basically crawling around the track, watching my parents, my my parents compete. And I feel like when you're so new, new to the sport, you're just learning and pulling from all different areas. And um, do you feel like you're still learning at a rapid pace? Yeah, that's what I definitely uh, uh, have been noticing. Even uh, before we shut down again, we were doing some uh, hundreds in training, and I was telling some of my, um, teammates, which, like, it's not like the running is easier, but my form, and technique, and the way I'm running is much better today than it was when I was starting. You know, I know it sounds kind of simple, of course, just work on technique, but again, you don't really notice those details until yeah even after like a year you know it just takes kind of a year to practice and consistency to start really noticing those details and even you know in long jump you know in my first year my biggest problem was i wasn't fully driving forward and my coach would always say drive forward drive forward you know get that momentum pushing forward but again it took a pretty much a whole year for me to start consistently jumping over 635 you know and getting into the 640s right so it took me really a whole year to be able to start consistently uh doing that and that's one thing my coaches good for is always focusing on the basics and getting consistent and then those big results will come so <laughs> yeah in the beginning for me to learn some patience <laughs> definitely yeah it's it's funny how consistency will all, a lot of times lead to a massive pb you're trying to be trying to be consistent trying to be consistent and all of a sudden you'll pop one and it wasn't necessarily consistent with the jumps you've been jumping but you knew it was on its way because your yeah. stride pattern was finally being consistent your mark was uh Con consistent and so you know it's it's funny in sport like a lot of times we just want this big performance but sometimes we just gotta come back we're like all right how am i gonna do good today instead of a yeah. year from now um do you do you find find that as well oh totally because see when i first started track i think in the summer of 2018 i had this kind of fluke jump of 6 30. so when i first started track um in 2018 i told my coach yeah let's just 6 30 all i care about don't care about things. don't really care about technique 6 30 and my coach kind of be like hey, yeah you have a fluke of 6 30 but you're still very new to the sport you know you haven't had the years of development of jump so he's like sure yes you have potential to you know be jumping well in between 650 and 7 but we're not quite there just yet so yes when i first started i was very uh impatient and just kind of wanted these big things right away like there was one meet where i got new long jump spikes i was just ready to go um, I was kind of overly excited and then it's kind of devastating because I only think that they jumped like a sad 550, but that was just because of how, you know, unexperienced I was and stuff like that coming into the sport. So my coach had to hold me back and say, Hey, you know, you haven't had the training in, let's get consistent. And then those big things will come. <laughs> yes, no, absolutely. The big things will come. And let's go back to that PB jump indoors. Um, when you actually did that jump did it feel hard did it feel smooth did you feel like you're in the flow you know there's that there's that uh sense of mindfulness called the flow and did you feel like you were in that and it was effortless like what was that big jump like well you know i was kind of motivated i guess you know normally when we talk when i talk about being motivated in like a race you know that's usually because you know the guy's ahead right and you're, you're trying to be pulled along um but before i did that jump there was one other guy who jumped uh, 650 before me and before I did 662, my PB was actually a 641. So when I did 641 a few uh, months before I did the 662, I was, you know, 650 was obviously on my mind. And then once that guy that day jumped 650, um, I can't even like explain it, but what just came to my mind was stay calm, 
don't panic. You're capable of doing this. Um, you know, you've been putting in all this work. So now this is where the experience part comes in that I didn't have a whole year ago. And then I just remember once I, again, all just happened so quickly, but once I got to the board, it just kind of just clicked. It all came together. And when I landed in the sand, oh boy, I knew it was a big one. So I didn't quite expect it to be over 660, but definitely around that six, between 650 and 655. But uh, I didn't quite expect it to be over 660, but boy, it definitely felt like a PB jump for sure. So oh, high performance. And, you know, as you said, like, uh, you do get anxious, maybe more anxious than maybe the quote unquote normal able body athlete. Um, how do you combat that? Because being calm and being able to execute your race plan is obviously extremely important for you. And a lot of times, as you said, if you get impatient, your steps would be off, you might foul. Um, so do you have anything that you use prior to your race or just words you say to yourself to help you come, come back to center? Yeah, like it really, again, kind of start being calm you know it's not really as simple as a lot of people think because you know sometimes I was trying to be calm you know in uh, my first year of track right but uh, really kind of just came from just the experience in my first year again there were days when I tried to be calm but it still just wasn't working I would still try and overrush it so that's where the inconsistency of me taking off too far back behind the board or you know having a fault or just you know being very tense in my run-up and trying to force a big jump and one thing i kind of learned within my first year is you can't well whether you're running or jumping really or even throwing you can't really force a pb you know i mean you could tell yourself you know i hope to do great this is what i hope to do but you, when you're actually there on the line in a race or actually there about to jump you can't force it it just has to come and you just kind of have to trust uh the process which not you know i know it's easier uh, said than done but that really only comes from just i think experience so that's why i mean even in three, four years from now, I think I'll be a much better developed uh, athlete, even especially by the Paralympics in 2024, because I'll have those, you know, years and years of experience and hopefully by then some international meets as well, right, to get me that experience and get me ready to go. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's so funny how I sometimes I wish I could force a PB because sometimes, you know, in running, it's been I've sometimes I went two or three, three years without a PB. And I'm like, man, I just need to force this thing. But uh, trusting the process is like you said, so, so important. And I think a big part of your process, at least for me, is a great coach. Um, mm -hmm. What type of impact has your coach played on keeping you consistent as, as, as we talked, but also the pandemic, you know, the, the, the timetable has just changed so drastically. So mm -hmm. how has he kept, kept, kept you level-headed during this time? Yeah, no, uh, Coach Jerry, yeah, he's great. I mean, he's always, uh, you know, reminding us to stay positive. You know, we have another assistant coach who runs some uh, yoga sessions with us. And we also get some online uh, course. Uh, yeah, these are online. So we get some yoga once a week and we get some online course sessions once a week as well. And then obviously it's snowing now, but in the summer they tell us or give us a list of some things to do some running on our own. So, you know, they're really working hard to keep our bodies in shape for once we get back on the track and we're ready to go because obviously if we did nothing and then we step on the track again we wouldn't be fit so uh, no they're doing really good on keeping us motivated still keeping us healthy and uh, me and my coach sat down the other day and uh you know my coach just wants to give me some positive vibes and he's like let's start talking about some goals that are possible for yeah closer into 2023 and 2024 so he's still looking out for me and uh you know saying i still have a great uh, future ahead if i still keep my mind to it and not give up so yeah he's doing good Good, good. That's awesome. And as you mentioned, goals, I think goals 
um, are so, so important. And so uh, I'm curious how you set goals because sometimes people write them to literally forget them and just so that they can focus on the process now. And then some people have big like goal setting things and they put them in their bathroom where you or your ceiling where you see them every single day. How do you go about uh, goal setting? Yeah, well, I mean, the way I go about goal setting now is uh, obviously a little bit different than the way I went about goal settings in my first year of track. Like when I first started again, it was just 630, don't care about anything else, whatever. Um, but now like Jurgen and I, we sat down the other day and really the goal is to be a consistent seven meter jumper uh, between 2023 and 2024. Now, even if I jump seven meters, you know, next year or even in 2022, that's fine. But that's not mission accomplished because being a consistent seven meter jumper is different from then jumping seven meters once, but then on average jumping 670, 660, right? So uh, it was great that you know, I mean, you had kind of sat down about this and talked that, yeah, let's does it get you to be a consistent jumper by this time. And then in the 400 meter dash as well, we're talking about between 49 and 49.5 by um, closer to 2023 and 2024. And that can keep me in the mix as well with some of those other guys. So uh, um, yeah, Yurik has really got me level-minded and he's really helped me with goals and that's what makes him you know a good coach is he's never the coach to just throw out random numbers or throw out random results that are just unrealistic he always says things that are realistic to every athlete who he uh coaches so um he's really helped me with those goals so yeah really what's kind of on well originally in back in the past my first goal was 650 i'm like i can't talk about seven meters until i can start being you know it's a consistent 650 jumper right so seven meters has always been on the back of my mind but at first it was I need to get you know start getting over 650 right so um then now um that i've done that now it's you know about uh being consistent and then hey again like i said if i jump seven meters next year great but that's I, i'm still wouldn't be a consistent seven meter jumper so the goal is by between 2023 and ideally before the paralympics in 2024 is to be a consistent seven meter jumper it's possible but obviously with the consistency and hard work yeah absolutely not Obviously, we talked about that 2024 goal, which is so important. Um, what is your 2021 goal? Is it just making the Paralympics or not just making the Par Paralympics, which is, a, which is a huge deal? Or is it top eight? Is it medals? Um, what does that kind of more short term goal look like? Yeah, like I think uh, for the short term goal, like if we can get in good, consistent training, you know, even in the next couple of weeks are um, just kind of depends what these shutdown policies are like, but they get some good, consistent training in. Uh, I think the Paralympic standard is a 676. And again, the goal really was 680 last year. So with consistent training and some weights, I mean, ideally this year, the goal really was a 680 jump. So, uh, and if that uh, qualifies me, great. And if I did qualify for the Paralympics in Tokyo, I would just take that as a time to learn. And, you know, that it'd be really my first biggest meet I've ever really had, right? So it'd just be more of like a, that learning experience than potentially I could use that learning experience for future meets as I get older. But uh, yeah, really, my goal is to just kind of be fit for whenever my first big meet is. And again, 676 is definitely an achievable thing I can do relatively quickly with uh, provided the consistent training. So that's kind of my goal. And then again, the 676, 680 will pretty much get me into like, uh, well, last year would have ranked me around in the top six or not top seven, right? So yeah, those are kind of my shorter term goals. Yeah, no, I mean, I think it's good to just have check-ins at, you know, some point along 
a process and that's super important and but as i know you are much more than just an athlete on the track you work at apple um you always uh i always tease you and tell you that i'll send you my address so you can send me some uh some apple products how is how do you like uh working at at apple and how does that help you like just get away from the track yeah it's it's helped me get away from the track but it's actually over the past year uh built my mental strength for track you know working at apple there's a lot of mental pressure you know you never know what customer is going to walk through the door right just because someone wants to buy a mac you know they could be asking some questions and things that are like what are they just asked me <laughs> so definitely that mental strength that i was and pressure that i was put on at apple i was really able to take that into my competing for track like one thing i noticed this year especially in january of 2020 when we started competing again is i wasn't really getting that nervous before competition like i used to and I think, well, one, that's just through experience of track, but two, that was also through the mental pressure and experience that I was kind of put on. And I know working at Apple and track are like two separate things, but when it comes to that mental strength, you know, you can tie mental strength along with really whatever it is you're, you're doing in life. You know, even me being the valedictorian for my grad class in grade 12, you know, that uh, hard work, you know, being put under pressure, that uh, mental kind of mindset that you have to have, you know, all that kind of, I've been able to carry into track. And again, I'm, starting to notice that now as a young adult, but uh, I didn't really notice that in the beginning. So, but yes, uh, it's been it's been great working at Apple. I actually have now had to resign just because we're getting back into training soon, but uh, I can always go back there whenever I'd like. That's awesome. And yeah, I think it's, you know, it, I know it is tough training. I mean, especially when things get going and you're traveling so much, it's, yeah. you know, sometimes really hard to have a job, but it's cool. And it seems like you're passionate about that too. Is that, is that right? Yeah, like passionate about like the Apple and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. Oh, totally. And the great uh, customer interactions I've had, you know, even being able to like relate with uh, people who do do sports who come into the Apple store, people who do have um, a disability who come into the Apple store. You know, I'm still, again, despite my disability can't be seen, I'm still a guy that can still be able to relate with them and build those good customer interactions. And uh, overall, the whole journey there was just really amazing. It was, it was great. And again, all, all those things I learned with, mental strength and hard work and toughness is just stuff I can just take on right into my uh, track journey in the future. So no, it's, it's been just amazing. Good, good. Yeah, that's awesome. I remember when I worked in sales, I was always like, it would be a challenge, like, all right, I'm gonna try not to stutter this time. I'm gonna try to, you know, get them to buy an extra pair of socks when I worked at this, this, uh, this running shoe store. So it was just funny, like my competitiveness would definitely come out and I'd be like, all right, all right, let's, Let's take that back down a notch sometimes. So, <laughs> yeah, but uh, now I have some five kind of rapid fire, um, more fun uh, questions. Um, so the yeah. first one is, if your life was a movie, what would be the title? <laughs> if my life was a movie, what would be the title? I think I'd choose something just as simple as exciting. Something Love it. Was exciting. <laughs> life, life is definitely not dull. It's it's definitely filled with excitement. That's for yeah. sure. Um, obviously, now we're all "quote unquote" tied up in our home or in the place that we live. And what is a dream destination that you want to go to, or just would be awesome to go to? Like a place just to travel to. Yeah, places to travel. A place that you've always maybe when you're younger, you just place you're like, oh, that would just be really cool to go there. Well, I definitely like, because I, I know I was like, I was adopted from Haiti at five months, but I definitely want to go 
back to Haiti before I'm 30. Um, you know, because being when you're adopted so young, you don't actually remember what it's like there. So I definitely want to go back there before I'm 30 for sure, just to do some uh, missionary work or I feel like I just have to help out in the community in some way over there. Because again, I know I was adopted from there, put in a great family, you know, have access to food and water, but obviously most people in Haiti don't have access to that. So before I'm 30, that's definitely on the back of my mind. I want to go there for like three weeks, somehow do some missionary work there, whether it's building homes or helping give water out or just do something in some way to give back. Uh, yeah. Before I'm 30. So that's still on the back of my mind for sure as a goal. Wow. No, that is uh that is really cool. Um, your favorite Apple product. I know this is a tough one. <laughs> favorite Apple product. Oh boy. <laughs> I think probably my Apple watch. Cause the main reason why I got an Apple watch was to like track my steps was because I was just getting into track and field and uh, starting running. So I mean, I like it for other things too, but probably more for the physical activity and fitness, definitely my Apple watch. Awesome, awesome. I don't know if you are a big music person, but um, I usually ask everyone what their favorite artist or a couple of their favorite artists are to to uh, to listen to. Uh, lately I've actually been listening to some of Calvin Harris's, uh, you know, music. You know, I know he's like more the DJ, but he still does some pretty cool beats. So I mostly like, music that I can kind of, you know, tap my foot to or that have a good beat that I can jump high or up and down to. So lately, I've been listening to him. <laughs> awesome, awesome, awesome. Um, and our last rapid fire question is someone you admire outside of your family? Someone I admire and does that have to be like a famous person or just not uh, anyone? Yeah, anyone. Probably like the people I really like look up to as athletes, you know, are obviously some of the greats. Like, I mean, you know, you look at Usain Bolt, right? Spidey was you know, naturally talentedly fast, but still the hard work that he had to put in to kind of get to the success that he's had. So definitely him and some other big names on the circuit there. Uh, mainly it's like mostly track people, but yeah, Usain Bolt, you know, Andre DeGrasse and uh, a few of those other guys. Usain Bolt's all right, I guess. Yeah, he's yeah. okay. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. So um, my last, last real um, kind of serious question is I think, uh, adaptability is something that I've kind of been a theme in this conversation and really this entire year. And I I'm curious, what does adaptability mean to you? And how has, how has that been something that has been, that has led to some success in your, uh, athletic, athletic career? But like kind of have been able to like to just adapt to everything. And yeah. Yeah. Like what is it even could be a different definition to you? Like, I just feel like, um, there's a, so many instances at track meets where it's like it's delayed or you forgot something or at least I forget things all the time. Um, and so just like instances where you have to be adaptable. And I just think as Paralympic athletes, we are adaptable because um, we have to, you know, learn new ways to do things. Um. Yeah, I mean, my coach has briefly like talked on kind of on about like adaptability and stuff like that. I mean, he's always kind of you know, he's the coach to kind of get our bodies really well-rounded for unusual kind of circumstances. So despite about long jump mostly in my event, I still do other events like uh, hurdles and some uh, short sprint work and some other kinds of things in training, just to get my body kind of trained for the unusual circumstances. I mean, obviously with competing, you know, because I haven't competed a lot, especially really internationally ever. I haven't really had to deal with some big, big unusual circumstances. But I mean, if we're talking about things outside of track like the pandemic no that's definitely been i think for every athlete it's just been hard to kind of 
rearrange the schedule, you know, even stay motivated, you know, keep uh, even to train even or to go out on runs and stuff like that. But for me, I just kind of think to myself, you know, if there's athletes who are like, you know, 10 years older than me and they can still push themselves to do it. Like, let's say they're 10 years older than me and they had Tokyo and that was their goal. They were going to retire after that. But now because of this pandemic, they have to maybe rearrange their goals. I'm thinking, you know, if, if they can do it and they're 10 years older than me and I'm only 20, um, you know, there's no reason why I can't uh, change my mindset and just work hard and keep going, you know, and it's, and it's tough. And we're talking about a lot of things that, you know, might be canceled or whatever, but you know, at the end of the day, the hope and the faith is never uh, canceled. You know, I really believe that at the end of the day, no storm lasts forever. Even if you're in the storm and you can't really see the end of it, there is still, I think we'll look back in three or four years from now and we'll be able to see what good came out of this. We can't necessarily see that good just yet, but uh, I believe there still will be some good out of it. And again, no storm lasts forever. So those at the end of the day, no matter how hard my mindset is, or um, if I'm going through a really hard time, I just think about those things and that's just what keeps me going. Yeah, no, I feel like it's crazy. You can call it adversity, but a lot of times like when you're going through it, it's just so hard and think it's the worst thing ever and like obviously i always relate to my brain injury because that was like the big moment and i look on back on that and i'm like that's the best thing that's ever happened to me like i have so many cool opportunities are you kidding me like like yeah getting paralyzed wasn't fun but yeah i i, I learned so much um do you view your adversity kind of in that same light I do now, but I never did in, in, especially growing up in school, you know, because again, in junior high, that was probably the hardest years for me. I was not doing track in junior high. And some days I just think, you know, I can't really see any good that comes out of this learning disability because, you know, in my junior high class, sometimes we were just made fun of, oh, you guys aren't going to university, you'll never be successful, blah, 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 things like that. So that was definitely pretty uh, challenging. But now when I look back on it, I mean, you know, if it wasn't for my learning disability, um, well, there would be no Paralympic stuff and talk like that. If it wasn't for my learning disability, me being a valedictorian went to been as special because, you know, it's been 20 years since someone in a pace learning program has been able to do it. So when I kind of look back on all these things, um, it's in some ways special that I have this disability because uh, I can use it to either motivate others or help others or relate with others or even customers in the Apple store. Um, so definitely didn't think this, obviously, when I was a kid growing up in junior high, junior high is probably one of my most depressing years, but, you know, kind of getting into high school and in grade 10, 11, 12, as I was getting, you know, involved with leadership, social justice clubs, you know, uh, I started working in some of my first jobs, like a um, theme park called Callaway Park and things like that. It just uh, was all starting to come together. Yeah, no, it's, I always say like, it's interesting how your tough moments today will turn into blessings down the road. And um, that's that's kind of a kind of quote that I always kind of kind of live by. And you did mention motivation um, a couple minutes ago. And how, what when you when you aren't motivated and, you know, we all definitely get those. Is there something that you anchor yourself or is there something that you go watch or is there someone you go you go talk to uh, when that motivation maybe lacks a little bit? Yeah, I mean, definitely listening to music. Um, again, upbeat, positive music helps me stay motivated. Um, you know, even having Zoom calls, uh, you know, with my coach and when we, you know, talk about some good goals in the future and what I'm capable of doing, that also helps me stay motivated. You know, even talking to my uh, parents sometimes about some things help me stay motivated or my sister even. So it's not like I, just one thing, but there's definitely these little things in my life are these people that I have 
you know, like a little community that helps me stay motivated. I mean, at the end of the day, people will see me compete. But what I'll tell them is that, you know, I couldn't have done it without, uh, you know, my, you know, me and my dad, we love talking about track and, you know, talking about some cool things and when we and my coach talk. So it's not just me, it's more of there's a bigger picture behind me that's keeping me stay motivated at the end of the day. Yeah, it's funny. Like I always go into meetings with my coach, either like if I'm mad or something about something and I always go in there pumped up to do the exact opposite thing that she wants me to do. And I'm like, dang it. How do you do that? Come on. <laughs> like it, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's super fun. So I have two questions that I ask all the guests on my podcast. And so firstly, where can people find you on social media? Um, yeah, like mainly on uh, Instagram, uh, Noah Najan, so N-O-A-H and then Najan, N-A-J-A-N. That's kind of like my biggest kind of uh, social media thing. But I am on uh, Facebook as well as uh, Noah Najan as well. Awesome. Awesome. And the last final question is, what do you want your impact to be on the world? Ooh, on the world. Well, I've can answer this in two ways. So Number one is I, st I still want to give back, you know, not, not just going to Haiti and giving back, but I want to be able to still give back in some sort of way. And number two, I still really, at the end of this, whether it's in track or whatever I'm doing, still want to be a role model or example to people who have learning disabilities uh, to still follow their dreams no matter what. I mean, when you're growing up in a pace learning program, especially in elementary and junior high, sometimes we'd have guest speakers come in and say, you know, well, guys, you're not ever going to university. So, you know, you might only be janitor the rest of your life. I mean, they weren't physically saying that, but that's kind of what the message was coming across. So, you know, I want to be able to give people hope of disabilities, or if you put your mind to whatever it is you're good at, you find that passion, you find that goal, and you find something that you love to do, stick with it. And uh, with the hard work, the success can come. So uh, definitely a role model for people who have uh, learning disabilities, um, not just within my program, but with with anything, right? So yeah, those are probably the two biggest things, giving back and then being a role model for people who have learning disabilities. Awesome. Yeah, you said that so beautifully. And I think that is a perfect place to end. Uh, Noah, thank you so much for coming on the Strides of podcast. I had a blast thank chatting you. with yeah. you. And it's good to finally be able to see you. Uh, it's yes, been a little yeah. bit. So <laughs> we'll uh, take care and I'm sure we will talk soon. If you enjoyed this episode, leave us a rating on Apple Podcasts and subscribe so you get notified when the new podcasts get released. That's it from us here at the Strides with Grey Wolf podcast. Follow us on Instagram at Strides with Grey Wolf. Follow your host's journey to the Paralympics at Nate Grey Wolf. Remember, disability isn't inability. Thank you for joining us at the Strides with Grey Wolf podcast. Big thank you to Noah. Stay tuned next Friday for another podcast. Our guest will be Maddie Price, 400 meter sprinter for Canada. A reminder that Grey Wolf Mentality store is still open. Head over to greywolf-mentality.myshopify.com.